growing up, I uh, had a basketball goal in my driveway and would go out and practice some free throws, some layups, some three-point shots from time to time. But eventually, I got bored with just practicing a few shots here and there. And so I would come up with these scenarios, like it's game seven of the NBA finals, my team is down by two, and I have the ball in my hand with five seconds left. Step behind the three-point line, do the patented move that I had just then developed in the driveway, and then let the shot fly. It would go in, I'd hear the crowd, ah! I'd see this beautiful girl in the stands cheering me on. That's how I knew what my wife looked like when I saw her in college. I knew that was her. That was the girl in the stands throughout my entire childhood cheering me on as I hit the game-winning shot to win the NBA Finals. But sometimes, sometimes when I put that shot in the air to win the NBA championship, it missed. But fear not, dear ones, I got fouled. And so I would, go to the, I would go to the free throw line and I would shoot two, sometimes three free throws. And I would sink those free throws with all the pressure on me. And I would bring home the championship and I would envision in my mind the confetti falling, my teammates carrying me off the court on their shoulders. And there is the MVP trophy with my name on it, baby. But sometimes I would miss the game winning free throw. But fear not, dear ones, because there was a lane violation. <laughs> and so I would shoot it again. And sometimes I would miss, but wouldn't you know it, there was another lane violation. Very uncommon, but it does happen. And eventually I would sink that game-winning free throw and that beautiful girl in the stands would cheer me on who would later become my wife and I was the hero. <laughs> I played that scenario out many, many times in my driveway, hitting that game-winning three, hitting those game-winning free throws, hitting that game-winning fade away from the corner of the, uh, of the lane. And, and, and over and over and over again, that scenario would play itself out. Maybe you were like that. Maybe you had a similar experience, but you're not dumb enough to admit it publicly. Maybe for you, it wasn't hitting a game-winning shot. Maybe it was hitting a, a, a master's clinching putt on the 18th green. Maybe for you, it was being first chair in your band or orchestra. Maybe for you even now, it's, you know, it's getting the promotion. It's, it's in your mind. You just, you, you think about it, you lay in bed at night and sometimes you speculate about what it's gonna be like when, when you are in this particular seat and, and people in your past look to you and they see what you've become and what you've accomplished. And in some form or fashion, that feeds your soul. Maybe it's a shot, maybe it's a putt, maybe it's being in the first chair, maybe it's getting the promotion, maybe it's getting to a certain house, maybe it's you know, some post that in your future is gonna be on social and people are gonna see what you have become. You know, the, the thing about all of us is we enjoy being the hero of our stories. <laughs> if we're honest, like we enjoy being the hero and and, and don't get me wrong, listen, it's one thing to work hard and accomplish something in life, and that's good. And it's one thing to be honored for something, the, the Bible actually says, to give honor to those 
to whom honor is due. You know, it's one thing to work hard. It's one thing to be honored for something that, that you've done or a way that you've helped or encouraged someone. That, that, that's okay. But it's another thing, and this is kind of where I think many of us will go with these thoughts, desires, ambitions, speculations. It's another thing to have this pressing desire to be the hero. To be the hero of your story, to be the hero of human history. All of us in some form or fashion have that. We wanna be the hero. You know, we want the accolades. We want the confetti falling. We want the recognition. And, and that desire to be the hero of your story and to be the hero of human history is actually a desire that's plagued the human heart from the very beginning of time. We've been walking through the past couple of weeks a teaching series called Beginnings where we've been looking at the opening chapter of human history. And what we've seen is that man's greatest problem is our desire to be the hero of our story. This was actually the first temptation. This was the first sin. This is what led Adam and Eve away from God. The temptation, if you remember, was, hey, God is shortchanging you. God is trying to hold you back. God's trying to push you down. God doesn't want you to be like him. But if you'll do what he's told you not to do, then you can be like him and you can have your name in lights and you can be the hero of your story and you can govern yourself and you can have the confetti fall and see your name on the MVP trophy. The very first sin came about because mankind was not content to not be the hero of human history. And from that point forward, really, the human heart is wired in this way to find its fulfillment in human praise. Do you realize that human nature finds fulfillment in human praise? That's what so much of our lives are about. That's what a lot of social media is about. You see, human nature finds fulfillment in human praise. And when we press into that desire to be the hero of our story and to be the hero of human history, then what we do is go far beyond just work hard and accomplish uh, that which is good or to provide for our families. No, 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 we go way beyond that. We go into a zone where we literally find fulfillment. We seek to find fulfillment in being the hero of our story, the hero of human history. That's a dangerous place to, to be. And, and here's one of the truths that we see in God's word that is a universal truth, that there's nothing new under the sun. And our struggle to be the hero of our story is actually a struggle that human beings have had coming out of the story of Adam and Eve. I mean, we've seen it with the corruption of the world leading up to Noah and the universal flood. And today I want you to see coming out of the flood, coming out of this, this judgment of God in a profound way, coming out of this remarkable season of human history where, where God in essence initiates a dramatic restart. Guess what? Before too long, mankind is back to trying to become the hero of their story. Here's what happened. We see this in Genesis 11. At one time, all the people of the world spoke the same language and they used the same words. And as the people migrated to the east, they found a plain in the land of Babylonia and they settled there. And they began saying to each other, watch this, let us make bricks and harden them with 
fire. And in this region, bricks were used instead of stone and tar was used for mortar. And they said, come, let us build a great city for ourselves with a tower that reaches to the sky. And this will make us famous and keep us from being scattered all over the world. Now, you know, what's fascinating about this is coming out of the universal flood with Adam and his family, God recommissions the human race to do what he asked them to do in the very first place. Remember, God said to Adam and Eve, I want you to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. God's design was that mankind flourish in the world that he made, that they enjoy the beauty of his creation and that they spread, they multiply, right? And then after the flood, God says to Noah, hey, I want you to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. God kind of gives this restart to Noah and his family and says, hey, now I want you to go and be fruitful and multiply and spread all around the world and bring glory to my name and enjoy the beauty of what I've created. But here's what happens. Mankind, instead of spreading, is clustering. And instead of making God's name famous and bringing glory to him, they are seeking to make themselves famous and to bring glory to themselves. And they all huddled just east of, of, of where Noah and his family had settled in what has now been known as Babylonia or Babylon. And here's what happened. They, they, they were there and they said, hey, let's build a city here. Actually, there's a really neat description in the original language. Here's what it says. All the people had one lip and the same words. They had one lip and the same word. They all spoke the same language. There's really one people group on the earth at this time and they all say collectively in a unified manner, hey, let's build a city. In the city, let's build a tower. This will communicate our power. This will communicate our accomplishments. This will communicate our unity. And so we're gonna build this city. We're gonna build this tower and we're gonna make a name. This is their goal. We're gonna make a name for ourselves. And notice they use the same language God used in his creative power, let us. You can see man here is trying to put themselves in the place of God. God said in the very beginning of time, let us make man in our own image. Mankind is now saying, let us build a city and a tower so that our name can be great. And so really in every respect, mankind is trying to become God, they're trying to usurp the place of God. They're living for their own glory. They're living for their own name. Literally, they're saying, let's build a city. Let's build a tower as high as we can build it. And that will signal to the rest of the earth that we are here. We're gonna stay here. And instead of multiplying and spreading, there's gonna be clustering. And we're gonna stay right here. One people, one language, one nation. We're gonna be awesome. We're gonna be great. And so they build this tower. You know, do you realize that even today, in a sense, the towers that we build are monuments to, to success and prosperity. Littered across the American landscape are city skylines that communicate prosperity, that communicate knowledge and skill. I mean, everywhere around the world, you see cities and you see buildings. The higher they reach into the sky, the more impressed we are. Even today, there's something about what a tower communicates, prosperity, skill, Wisdom, right? The largest tower in the world today, right now, is the Burj Khalifa. It's 2,716 feet in the air. That's a big building. Communicates that the people who live there 
have the prosperity to afford such a tower, that they have the people in place to construct, to design, to engineer such a tower. Listen, there is nothing new under the sun. Thousands of years ago in this little town called Babylonia, there were a people who said in rebellion against God, we're gonna make a name for ourselves and we're gonna build this great tower. And when people see it, they'll be reminded that we are the stuff. And so they began to work on this tower. Now here's what happened. Look at verse five. Please don't miss the irony here. But the Lord came down to look at the city in this wee little tower that the people were building. I love this. I love this. Notice the irony here. The author here is intentionally highlighting the, 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 um, the contrast between God and these people. And these people at this point in their history are like, wow, we're awesome. And we've got now the unity. We've got the collective buy-in. We've got the collective knowledge. We've got the materials, prosperity. Man, we're gonna build a city. We're gonna build a tower. And people are gonna be so impressed with this tower and how high this tower extends into the sky. And then you see God has to come down to see it. These people are nothing in comparison with the greatness and the glory of God, but yet they think they are. And so here's what happens next. Look, God says, the people are united and they all speak the same language. And after this, nothing they set out to do will be impossible for them. And so let's go down. May, may I just point out to you, God has the final let us. <laughs> God says, let us go down and confuse the people with different languages, and then they won't be able to understand each other. And so God comes down, throws confusion in the midst. They can't talk and communicate, and now the people are going to have to scatter because they can't complete what they had planned to do. And God here intervenes to bring confusion that will, as we will see, soften the pride that's found in the human heart. And the chief enemy that you and I encounter on a daily basis is pride. C.S. Lewis called this the greatest sin. Pride in the human heart. Not, not, I'm not talking about working hard. I'm not talking about being honored for something where honor is due. I'm talking about that strand of pride in every single one of us that seeks to make us the hero of our story, the hero of human history. And that strand of pride in every single one of us is so great that if we leave it unchecked, we will end up in the exact same place as these people in Babylonia thousands of years ago that sought to do something that would make them their name great. And therefore God intervened. And he intervened to keep in check this pride that's found in the human heart. And again, there's nothing new under the sun. That pride, that same pride in them is, is, is found in us. We, we all struggle with this because human nature naturally finds fulfillment in human praise. And here's how it manifests itself in our lives. Listen, sometimes we, we find fault in others while at the same time looking past our own faults. 
What's one of the ways that pride manifests itself in our lives? Well, we, we become really, really good at finding fault in others while neglecting the fault in our own lives. And I'm grateful that no one here today struggles with that. I'm, I'm grateful that for the, all of those who attend Bell Shoals, if this is your first time at Bell Shoals, welcome. We're so glad you're here. You have actually found a people with very little fault and who are very humble. I mean, I know I'm not really talking to any of you, but you know, there are people out there, <laughs> these people out there, a lot of them are really, really good at pointing out the fault in others without finding the fault in themselves and seeing the fault in their own lives. That, that's a manifestation of pride. You know how Jesus talked about it? Jesus said something like this. He said, you know, you, you see the speck in someone else's eye and you ignore the log in your own. I know that's not true of any of you, but I've heard that's true of some people. That's a manifestation of pride. We see fault in others and we, we tend to overlook the fault in our own lives, right? Secondly, superficiality. We, we, we tend to be concerned with others' perception of us more than the reality of what God sees in us. I don't know if you've noticed this, but we live in a world that is increasingly superficial. Social media is an accelerant for superficiality. You can post whatever you want to post, give it an appearance to however you want to appear, when the reality may in fact be much different. I literally have spoken to people who have posted things within 24 hours of me knowing through private conversation that what they posted does not accurately reflect where they are in life. Again, I know that's not true of any of you, but you know, there are people out there. They're animals, these people. They find fault in others while ignoring their own. They, they, they lean into the superficiality where perception matters more to them than reality. Third, there's a defensiveness that develops. This is what pride does. It, it, it works in a defensive nature so that we have a difficult time with confession. We have a difficult time owning when we mess up. It, you know what I found? The, the older you get and the more successful you become, the more difficult it can be to cultivate humility, to say, I'm sorry to be sensitive to the spirit bringing conviction on something that you said or did that was way out of bounds. And the more successful you become, and sometimes just the older you get, the more difficult it can be to keep this in check. And there's a defensiveness that, that, that raises its ugly head. And, and some of you maybe are in a stage of life, you're like, hey, I've lived X amount of years. I don't really care what you think. We all know that person. We all know that person and we attribute this defensiveness just to age. <laughs> oh, I can't wait to get to that age in my life when you know what, I don't have to care what anybody says or does. Well, if that defensiveness is a manifestation of pride, we should care. And sometimes the older we get, the longer we live, the more successful we become, the more resistant we are to actually saying things like, I'm sorry, I messed up, this wasn't right. Which by the way, is why King David's repentance after his sin with Bathsheba and her husband is so profound. When you repent of something that you've gotten away with, that's when you know the Holy Spirit's working on your heart. When you confess something that you've gotten away with that you don't have to confess to anybody, that's when you know God is at work. You see, pride keeps us from that. Pride finds fault in others, but not with ourselves. Pride cultivates a superficiality where we're more concerned about perception than reality. Pride cultivates a defensiveness in us. And then lastly, listen, pride leads us to live with a certain short-sightedness that robs us of eternal joy and reward. 
Pride gets us to focus on the here and now. That's what these people at Babylon are, are, are focused on, the now. We're gonna build a city now, a tower now. We're gonna glorify ourselves now. We're gonna settle here now forever so that our name is made famous. That's what they say. This will make us more famous. And pride leads us to a short-sightedness where we only think about the present. We only think about the temporal. We only think about what's happening now and we give little consideration to what's gonna echo into eternity. But here's the reality. Jesus talked about building on a foundation that will never wash away. And what he's talking about is ensuring that in humility, not pride, we build our lives, not for our name, but for his, not for our fame, but for his, not for our glory, but for his, so that the things that we build on echo into eternity. The way that we use our money, the way that we display generosity, the way that we serve others, the way that we conduct our lives, the way that we raise our family, the things that we value, the things that we prioritize. Listen to me carefully. These things echo into eternity because Jesus says, what does it profit you to gain the whole world but forfeit your soul? And here's a newsflash. Nothing that we accumulate on this side of eternity is going with us when we die. And there's nothing wrong with enjoying the blessings of what God provides to us and our families. But there is something potentially fatally wrong with using what God gives us not to honor and to glorify him, but to try to make ourselves the hero of our stories. And whether it's fault-finding, superficiality, defensiveness, or just being short-sighted, here's how pride manifests itself in our lives. It, 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 it pushes us to be the hero. And, and, and I know, students, man, we're so, we're so pumped you're here this morning. We're, I just want to say, you guys are awesome. I, I just want to say we love you. Man. I just want to say thank you for displacing some people who right now are still struggling with the pride of sitting in a certain seat every week. And um, you have totally messed up the seating balance of our building. And there's a threat that the, we're going to have to get the foundation fixed after this morning. And so thank you. We love you. We're glad you're here. This is awesome. Okay. And, um, but hey, students, listen to me. Over the next couple of years, you're going to make key decisions. What are you going to do for a living? Where are you going to go to college? Where are you going to go to trade school? Who are you going to marry? Hey, here's, here's how pride's going to manifest itself in your heart because the human heart finds fulfillment in human praise. So here, here, here's my challenge to you students coming out of this weekend and moving forward to choose a college, to choose a career, to choose a spouse in such a way that you seek to make Jesus the hero of your story and not yourself. And that should be true for all of us, right? That we leverage who we are and what we have so that Jesus is made more famous and he's the hero in our story. And I know what some of you are thinking. Oh, absolutely, man. Come and being a part of Bell Shoals, being a part of this mission and movement that's changing the world. Man, being, being, being in close proximity to what God is doing. Hey, that's gonna be enough to keep me from this kind of pride that pushes my heart toward making itself the hero of my story. And you would be wrong. 
Here's a newsflash for you. You can walk in close proximity to Jesus and still somehow try to manipulate Jesus so that he makes you the hero of your story. Some of the most prideful, arrogant people I've ever met are in the church. Some of the most prideful, arrogant people I've ever met are in leadership positions in the church or in, in, in Christian ministries around the world. It would surprise you maybe. Having a theological degree or being connected to the local church, coming off a weekend like movement, listen to me carefully, does not guarantee that you will not lean in to this pride that's in your heart to find your fulfillment in human praise. You say, I don't know, pastor. I don't know about that. That's a, that's a strong statement. I don't know, pastor. You're telling me if I'm in close proximity to Jesus and other Christ followers, that, 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 that you know, that's not gonna cure that pride? No, let me prove it to you. Luke 22, you ready for this? The people who were literally closest to Jesus for three years, who are now sitting at a table with Jesus during the last supper, Jesus telling them he's about to die for them. Jesus telling them that he's about to give up himself. Okay, we're not talking about three days into Jesus' public ministry. We're talking about three years into his public ministry. They watched him walk on water. They watched him cast out demons. They watched him heal the sick. They watched him restore sight to the blind. And now literally inclining at a table with Jesus at the last supper, him talking about his body that will be broken, his blood that will be shed. You say, what came out of that? Let me show you. And then they began to argue among themselves about who would be the greatest among them. Morons. <laughs> this is a traveling circus of men who moments before the death of Jesus are arguing at the table with Jesus there about which one of them he will choose to be his right-hand man. You can be in close proximity to church. You can be in close proximity to other Christians. You can be around this Jesus movement. <laughs> and still struggle daily with the desire to make yourself the hero of your story. This happens on several occasions in the New Testament, by the way. Even James and John, you know, the sons of thunder. You know, one day they were arguing about which one of them is going to be the greatest. I can just imagine, you know, Peter wasn't putting up with that. I mean, I can just see Peter at the table. Boys, <laughs> boys, go ahead and argue away. We know who's going to be at the right hand of Jesus. I mean, you can just see it. There's nothing new under the sun. This happened at Babel. This happened with the disciples. It happens with you and me. Human nature finds its fulfillment in human praise. But can I just give you a good word here today? God loves you so much that he will intersect your pride And he'll wreck it so that you discover who the true hero of human history is, and that's Jesus.
And that's exactly what God does in Babel. Let me, let me take you back to Genesis 11 and we'll wrap up here. here, here here's what God does. God comes in, scatters their language, and then inevitably then they scatter all over the world. They organize into people groups. Now, this is why we have the first nations. So the Lord scattered them all over the world and they stopped building the city. <laughs> of course they did. They couldn't talk to each other. And that's why the city right here, the last part of this, that's why the city was called Babel because that is where the Lord confused the people with different languages and in this way he scattered them all over the world. I know some of you are thinking, wow, God brought judgment. And where there was togetherness, now there's isolation. Where there was unity, now there's separation. But no, 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 listen to me. Listen to me so carefully here. Lean into this. This was not the judgment of God. This was the grace of God. You say, how in the world is this drastic action the grace of God? Well, because God understood if he left these people's pride unchecked, they would have consistently, relentlessly sought to make themselves the heroes of their stories. And God says, I'm not gonna let them do that. And so he scatters them. And here's what happened when these people scattered. You had the pride of one people group intersecting with the pride of another people group. And, and, and so ironically, it is the pride of these various people groups that helped to keep the pride of each other in check. Because left unscattered, they would have never reached out for God. They would have never asked for outside intervention to their internal brokenness and they would have never discovered the grace and the mercy of God. God scattered them so that he could save them. And I just want you to understand, hey students, all of, listen to me, I want you to understand, God is not going to let you be the hero of your story. If you're a Christ follower today, if you're trying to lean into Jesus today, if you're trying to discover his will for your life today, get ready. Jesus said, you better take up your cross and follow me because you'll never find joy. You'll never find true meaning. You'll never find true purpose. You'll never try and find true fulfillment unless you're finding it in Jesus, in his will for your life, in his will for your resources, in his will for your influence, in his will for your giftedness. When you find your joy in Jesus, when you seek to make him the, the hero of your story, an amazing thing happens that's counterintuitive to our human hearts and the way they're sinfully wired. We actually discover a greater joy and a greater fulfillment than if we were the hero of our own story. But by, by leaning into Jesus and exalting Jesus, we actually discover what true meaning and purpose and fulfillment is all about. And God loves you so much. He's gonna intersect your pride at various points along the way. And he's gonna remind you that in living for yourself and making yourself the hero of your story, you're robbing yourself of what's most valuable and important in your life and that you'll only find true peace and fulfillment in him. Because Jesus is the hero of human history. And when you discover that, it's life-changing. Now listen to me. This weekend, this movement weekend's all been about, it's been all about one thing, okay? It's about introducing Jesus to our students and our community in such a way that they value him above everything else. His will, his purpose. 
And if you're here today and you don't know Jesus personally and you've never turned from your sin and you've asked for his forgiveness, you've never committed to love him and follow him with all of your life. If, listen to me, if you're not living right now today with this commitment in your heart to exalt him so that he is the hero of your family, the hero of your story, lean into that. Put a stake in the ground today. Don't repeat the mistakes of these people at Babel thousands of years ago of trying to make a name for themselves. No, listen, understand this, that what you have in Christ is more valuable than anything else in your life. Do you remember what Jesus said? Jesus says the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is like a man who found a hidden treasure in a field. And when he found it, he went and he sold everything else he had so that he could buy that land with that buried treasure. And we read over that like, oh, that's cool. No, it's more than cool. It's life-changing. Because if you sold everything you own, think about it. You told your neighbors why that for sale sign is in your yard. And you sold your cars and you sold your furniture and you sold your clothing. And you went and you sold all this stuff. And people were asking, your family's asking, your friends are asking you, your neighbors are asking you, hey, are you moving? You say, no, 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 actually, I, you know, we bought a piece of property and um, the, the piece of property was a million dollars. And I did the math and everything I own is worth a million dollars. So I'm actually gonna sell everything I have because we want that property. What are you gonna do with that property? Are you gonna build on it? I don't know. Where is this property? Oh, it's down, you know, where they're not building anything yet. They would think you're nuts. They would think you lost your mind. Wait a minute, you're pulling your kids out of school. Wait a minute, you're going. So you sell everything you have for a million dollars. You buy this piece of property for a million dollars because you know that right in the middle of that property, there's a box with $100 million in it. And at some point in the future, everybody in your life that mocked you would come to see, no, you're pretty smart. And let me just give you a little insight in what the Christian life is all about. There, there are millions of people all around the world. By God's grace, we've discovered that, that the greatest life to be lived is a life that's lived for the, for the fame of Jesus. And in essence, here's what we're seeking to do. Man, we're holding loosely all the worldly possessions that we have. We're leveraging our time, talent, treasure, our influence. Man, here, here's what we're doing. We're, we're, we've kind of put on the table everything we own. We're willing to set aside everything we own. Why? You know why? Because there is a Savior who's worth far more than $100 million. There is a kingdom that will endure forever. We want to be a part of that kingdom. And right now, you might have people whispering in your ear, you're crazy. You might have some family. You might have some friends. You might have some neighbors. You might have some coworkers. Students, they don't, you've got some friends at school. They don't understand why you're committed to live the way you're living. They don't understand your commitment to honor Jesus. They don't know why you have this commitment to live pure. They, they don't understand why you're living how you're living. You've got all these people right now. They're mocking you. Why would you, in essence, use Jesus' parable, sell everything you have for this field? But there's coming a day in the new heavens and the new earth when it will make sense. When people will see that's why, that's why you live for the fame of Jesus. That's why you were, you were generous with what you had. That's why you leveraged your influence the way you did. That's why you leveraged your time the way you did. That's why you live your life the way you did. The day is coming. People are going to know why you sold all that you had to buy that field. Because right now, you know, they don't know yet, but you know that there is nothing more precious in all of life than to know Jesus as Savior and Lord and to live to make his name famous. There is nothing better than that. 
And so we keep on. And that's what this weekend's been all about. Listen, as we prepare to go today, I just want to show you a story, just a little recap of what happened this weekend. I want to show you a story of a student at our Apollo Beach campus whose life was forever changed this weekend because of your prayers, your generosity, your commitment to be a part of this movement and support them. Right, your commitment today to sit in a different seat because all these crazy students are over here getting their worship on and now you had to sit on the other side of the room, right? Hey, I want to show you what your prayers have accomplished. I want to show you what God is doing. And here's what you're going to see today. A celebration of someone who came to realize what the pearl of great price is, who it is. It is Jesus, the one who saves us from our sin and the one whose name we are seeking to make famous in the world around us. Let's watch this together. We're expecting God, we're asking God to do great things with Movement Weekend. And now this morning, what we wanna do is we wanna mobilize you all, our people, to do the most important thing for the weekend, and that is to pray. And I'm, I'm not skeptical, I am hopeful. I'm watchful. And I'm saying, hey, something's going on. I'm saying, why not with our students? Why not? It'd be with our students. And I'm okay, I'm totally okay if God were to choose to bring revival here through some teenagers. Praise God, hallelujah, I'll take it. However it needs to come, I'm okay with it. But I know this, it ain't gonna come without us praying. Hey, right now we've got 400 plus right behind me worshiping God. We're expecting God to save students. We're expecting God to, the students to take their next step with him. We're expecting for the spirit to move and it'd be a phenomenal evening tonight. The most important question that you could ask yourself tonight, is he your father? So, you know, we've been praying for this weekend for, gosh, months. We started planning, when was it? I don't know, it was a last year. I think it was last year. I think it, I think it was last year since the movement last year. And um, we know God's going to move in a mighty way. We've been um, praying for these students. If we've seen anything over the last few weeks, God can move whenever and however and wherever he wants to move. But I love events like this because we give him the space to, to move as he sees fit. And um, I tell you, he inhabits the praise of his people. That's right. And that's what this is. That's what this, this event is really. You know, I don't know about you, but I'm so thankful that we serve a God that loves us and lives in us. And you know, today we are going to be doing one of my favorite things that we do at Movement Weekend. We're going to be going out into the community and doing service projects. And you know, we don't do these things just to get you guys tired or just because it's busy work, so let's just do it. But we go out and serve the community because we are called to. Our impact, our impact on Brandon and Apollo and West Central Florida is greater. Why? Because if you're in Christ, you've got the Holy Spirit. You've got the Holy Spirit. You've got the Holy Spirit. You've got, and the collective impact that we can make in this world is greater than if Jesus was our senior pastor. Movement Weekend is all about movement and impacting our lives. 
but not only the students' lives, also the lives of others involved in it. So by doing this, we can impact someone else's lives and help them move. We were given the opportunity to come out here and help like pray for people in the cars who are coming here to grab food supplies that they otherwise might not get. Coming out here and my job is just to go up and talk to people about their relationship with God. I think that was a really cool opportunity. It meant a lot to me that I was able to minister to someone and maybe it might have impacted the rest of their lives. Maybe we'll see them in heaven one day. Father, I just want to thank you for what you did this afternoon in all of the community outreach events. Whether it was giving out water in Riverview or working with Kids Place or helping widows with their yards or all the other projects, Father. We thank you, God, for what you did right here. We thank you that you uh, just had two people come into your kingdom today, God. How extraordinary. So we just thank you for what took place this afternoon and we thank you for what's gonna be taking place for the rest of movement, God. I've been at Bell Shoals for a long time, and I'm gonna cry. Um, I've never seen our church family pray like this before for a student weekend. And not only does it mean the world to me, it means the world to our entire team, um, but I want our students to feel that. And I want our students to feel that their church loves them, um, they value them, and, and they've been praying for them very specifically this weekend. I wanna see God just work in their lives in whatever way they need. I've had conversations with a couple of them and just know that they're right there um, and they just need just that little bit extra push and I believe that, that that can happen this weekend and just super excited for that. Many of them are walking in here with some serious mess and some serious hurt and some serious baggage that, that's going on in their life. Your Heavenly Father is a good, good Father. Where your earthly father fell short, your Heavenly Father will never fall short. And He will be everything you needed your earthly father to be. Growing up, I didn't have a father. And um, for the longest time, I had shown remorse and I'd been angry at the way that he had left because um, he died due to alcoholism and addiction. And once upon a time, I felt that was very selfish. There are those of you going through things that are very difficult right now, and I can promise that many of you at this moment will sense, because the Holy Spirit is here, you will sense the presence of the Holy Spirit, and even though you are hurting, He can be your comfort. Braden is a very good friend of mine. I'm really hopeful that he establishes a stronger foundation in the Lord, that he makes a decision, whatever on God's timing. I think I've been very impatient recently because I just want him to know the Lord and know the love. Um, but it's really all in God's timing and I just hope he comes to know the Lord and know the greatness of that. I've just been praying for him just that, that God would move in his life because he comes from a rough a rough background, unchurched, um, dad no, no longer in the picture. He's hungry and he just seems like he's just, he's like right there ready to give his life to the Lord. 
And uh, we're praying that before this weekend is over, he is a child of God and he's a part of the family. Saying to a call for, for students to come up and if they've accepted Jesus tonight. And, and I was standing over there and I was trying to find, find Braden because I've, I've been praying specifically for him and I know tons of other people have just been praying for him. Tonight's service, I was, I was moved by something. But um, I was moved to come here to the front and accept Christ for the first actual time in my life. I had asked my friend Dylan and my friend Annabelle to go up there with me. And I found Pastor John and uh, I gave him a really big hug. And as I started to see him walk down, man, I was trying to fight back tears just seeing seeing the decision that he was gonna make just because of how many people were praying specifically for him. I just think what's happening in heaven right now, that there is a party going on in heaven, that angels are rejoicing, that sinners have been saved. And, and, and like we said, you know, they're in the family now. Satan has lost them forever. They belong to Jesus uh, and nothing can change that. The feeling when I had walked up there was the, the nostalgic feeling of having a true father that, that I hadn't felt since I lost my father. It was a feeling of peace. And um, finally, I had found a part of me that I felt I'd lost a long time ago. It's a truly amazing feeling to know that I'm, I'm loved and I'm cared about and I'm accepted. We're not just here for a weekend to, to experience something cool for a couple of days, but, but we're a part of something that's, that's changing the world. And, and our call isn't to just come and worship God for a couple of days, but it's to come worship God and then to go out into our communities, into our world, and, and share the gospel with others so that, that other people like the Bradens, like the other students that were here tonight, were here because other people went out and invited them to come to church. And that's the movement that, that we're a part of because Braden wouldn't have been here if his friend Annabelle didn't invite him. We're not just done here. It's not just, all right, cool, we had a great weekend, but it's, hey, let's take this, let's take this momentum and let's go out into our community, into our schools, and let's share the gospel and invite people to church because, man, we are part of an amazing movement here at Bell Shoals.
You know, we're not building towers or cities or buildings. But we're all building something. Students, you're building a reputation. You're putting together the building blocks for your future. Some of you are building a family. You're building a career. You're building a legacy. Who are you doing it for? Are you doing it to make your name great or to make the name of Jesus great? Are you doing it for your fame? Are you doing it for his fame? And I want to encourage you today to stay faithful to this mission and this this movement that's changing the world by being faithful to this Jesus who gave his life for you, who died for you, who secured redemption for you, eternal life for you. Because if you'll live to make his name famous, if you'll live for his glory and renown, if, if you will live to glorify him, then you will find that pearl of great price, that treasure hidden in a field. And you'll know what it means one day to hear those words from him, well done.